One of the hardest moments that I faced in ministry came when I was doing my clinical pastoral education, the residency in a hospital or other healthcare facility that are required of most would-be ministers. I was assigned to a level one trauma center in Let's see if that's any better. We thought we had this fixed last week. Apparently, we're having issues with it this week. I apologize, but I'm grateful for your patience. As I was saying, one of the hardest moments that I faced in ministry came when I was doing my clinical pastoral education. That is, the residency in a hospital or healthcare facility that is required of most would-be ministers. I was assigned to a level one trauma facility uh, in Kingsport, Tennessee, about 30 minutes north of the seminary that I attended. The hospital was the primary place of treatment for the worst injuries and illnesses in a two-hour radius to its north. That area was some of the most rural and isolated in Appalachia. If you ended up in the hospital where I served, it was a certainty that you were in a serious condition. On the second or third shift I was serving in the emergency room, a patient was airlifted to us from an area about an hour and a half away by road. He was 26 years old and had been injured in an awful accident on a winding mountain road. The young man had been thrown from his Jeep and had experienced massive head trauma as a result. He arrived in the ER and was immediately surrounded by a team of nurses and physicians who did their very best to save him. They worked feverishly as I stood off to the side out of their way, praying for them and for the young man whose life they were trying so desperately to save. After 30 minutes of unrelenting efforts, they stabilized the young man. As the attending physician took off her gloves, she came over to me and asked if we had been able to make contact with the young man's family yet. I told her that we had and that they were on their way, but it would be another hour or so before they arrived. We're going to have to tell them some pretty hard news when they get here, she said, as she sighed deeply. He's biologically alive, but the head trauma is so severe, he isn't going to make it. They're going to have a very difficult decision. I can only imagine the agony, I said, as I quietly offered a prayer for the family and for this doctor who would have to deliver that awful news to them. When the family arrived, I led them into a quiet room where we could meet and talk. They were distraught with worry and asked me every question imaginable, yet the only response I could give was, the doctor will answer your questions shortly. 
When the doctor came into the room, the family rose and then we all sat down. In short, concise words, she described the situation to them. And tears began to fall as the young man's mother and father realized the truth. When the doctor finished, she looked at me and I asked if I could pray with them and the parents nodded. I don't remember the words of that prayer, but I remember the anguish I felt in that moment for that family. We led them into the young man's room where they each took one of his hands and they began to reassure their son of their love for him. And they sat with him for several hours trying to come to terms with the fate that was now inevitable. Later that afternoon, doctor and I returned to speak with them about organ donation, something their son had elected according to his driver's license. It was a gut-wrenchingly painful conversation for them, but one that could not be avoided. Their son had made plans to ensure that his life would give life to others. When the doctor and I had finished and left, I stayed behind with the family to help them process the weight of everything that had happened. And after a few moments of silence, the mother looked up at me and said, I just so desperately want to run away from all of this, to flee and not to have to face it. I just can't accept that my son is gone forever. There were no words that I could say, and there was absolutely nothing that I could do to make anything better for that family in that moment. Their grief was crushing, and the agony of watching them endure it was almost too much for me. I knew those same feelings of wanting to flee that situation. Life can be hard, especially when the world around us seems to spiral out of control. The ground in which we stand seems to give way beneath us, and we are left to figure out how to claw our way back to stability. That's what the disciples felt in today's reading. It's the end of this long passage from John's Gospel about the bread of life. Throughout this encounter with the disciples and the crowds, with the religious authorities listening from a distance, Jesus has made clear the challenge of following him, of accepting this teaching about how to bring healing and wholeness to the world. And it has shocked those who heard it and angered the religious elite. No devout Jew could stomach the words about eating flesh and drinking blood, and Jesus knew it. He knew that metaphor about how fully one must accept the words he taught would repulse them, and yet he dares to use it anyway, because he knows that the road ahead of them will be hard. And he doesn't want them to walk the journey unless they're ready to face what's ahead of them. There would be moments that would call for the abandonment of religious pretense and would require them to say and do things otherwise unimaginable. They need to be ready. It's no surprise then that John tells us that some of the people began to walk away at that point. They couldn't stomach the language Jesus was using, nor the hard truths that he was teaching. 
Jesus acknowledges that, of course, and he even looks at the 12 disciples, those closest to him, and asks poignantly, do you want to leave too? It's a heartbreaking moment, but it's a defining one that every disciple faces at one point or another in the journey of faith. Simon Peter, ever the bold spokesperson of the group, steps forward and says, Lord, where can we go? You have the only words that bring true and unending life. Peter's words here are as close as we get to the good confession found in the Synoptic Gospels. There, Peter appears, Peter answers in what appears to be an enthusiastic exclamation, You are the Christ. Here, though, Peter's words are more muted and filled with resignation. Where else can we go? You're the Holy One of God, the only one who knows the way to true life. This response from Peter marks a defining moment in the life of the disciples. They have left everything to follow Jesus, convinced that he is teaching something that is finally true and ultimately life-giving. Their enthusiasm has been great, but now the reality is setting into their hearts and minds. This isn't going to be an easy transformation, always filled with miracles and joy and rejoicing. It will be an ongoing struggle that is occasionally marked by exhilarating highs and excruciating lows and, more often than not, the everyday ordinariness of life. That's why the writer of Ephesians is so clear that those who embark on this journey must attire themselves with every form of protection and strength available. Truth and righteousness, peace, faith, confidence in God's ability to save, and ultimately a dependence upon the Holy Spirit who is at work everywhere, overcoming injustice, bringing peace, and transforming the world. The journey will not be easy, but we do not make it alone. Joshua tried to instill that same truth in the Hebrews as they began to settle in Canaan. The God who has led them out of slavery and into freedom, who has walked with them through every moment of those frustrating 40 years in the desert and has now brought them to a new home of their own will always be with them no matter what. But now they must decide whether or not they will continue to serve that God, whether they will be faithful to the God of their ancestors or abandon that God for other allegiances when difficulties come their way. That decision comes to each and every one of us as it did to the Hebrews and those first disciples of Jesus. Life is hard. Following Jesus is harder. There will be times when we want to give up, to just throw it all aside and live our lives without worrying about the needs of others and the struggles of this world. Peter's words, though, remind us that we need to ask whether there is any other way that can bring the same depth of hope and connection. 
as does following Jesus. Father Jerry Pierce has framed the challenge succinctly. The work of discipleship can be painful and frustrating. There are two possible responses, abandon in anger or persevere in patience. And the latter is the secret of life here and hereafter. We're in one of those defining moments in our world right now. The ongoing challenges of this pandemic, the growing gap in wealth, the dire threat posed by climate change, coupled with the encroaching threat of fascism and the loss of a unifying concept of truth, brings us to the point of decision. Will we walk the way of Jesus, the way that leads to sacrifice for the well-being of all? Will we walk the easier way, one that brings us momentary ease? The choice is ours, of course, but for those who have the courage to walk the way of the cross, Jesus promises to meet us in the journey and offers us once more the bread of life, the words and presence that lead to true and lasting life for all. Amen.